Hey, it's producer Ari here. Yes, the one and only. Here to introduce you to the new weekly segment, TK This Week. Going to highlight the best of segments that Tony did for this week. I'm going to provide a little amazing commentary for you. I will be your guide, your Sherpa, if you will, through this magnificent journey. We'll start off this week with the absolute craziest segment Tony has done in a while. Uh, Months ago, Tony and I made a bet that he said there was going to be a contested convention at the Democratic uh, nomination for president, that they wouldn't be able to decide. And I had a bet that they would be able to decide. Now, a few months later, it seems clear that Joe Biden's going to be the nominee, but Tony still, still is insisting that Joe Biden is not going to be the nominee. I think he's nuts. I'm going to play this segment and let you decide. When it comes to Joe Biden and his political chances, please stop doubting us. Now, when I say us, I mean you and me. Stop doubting yourself. You're not crazy. You have eyes, you have ears, you have a lump of gray matter in between. You have the ability to coalesce the vapors. You can see that Joe Biden is not up to the task. And maybe that got you thinking when Joe Biden allowed the day to come and go that he was supposed to announce his vice presidential pick and it didn't happen, saying that it'll happen, um, you know, uh, a week from now. Well, I guess that's possible. You're going to say you're going to announce on August 1st. You're going to wait a week. It's possible. But it was just fuel for the fire of the what's going on with Joe Biden. What's going on with his campaign? What's going on with him? Because the one thing that we can agree to without any of us necessarily being doctors, although I know plenty of doctors listen uh, to the show and I appreciate it. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Great to be with you. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. What we can all agree on is that there's something wrong with Joe Biden. What that is, we don't know. If you want to argue senility, you can. I wouldn't be able to prove that in any way. I think that you could certainly watch the man and note that he can't put together four sentences. You would watch the man and note that he rambles. You would watch the man and note that he doesn't come across in some level of way that is cogent. You are not crazy or rude or ageist or whatever other garbage they may put out there. When you note this, you're right. And you have to understand that you're not the only person who knows that you're right. Your neighbor knows that you're right because your neighbor's right, too. They see it as well. You know who else sees it? The Democratic Party. This is what led me to the other day write about debates. The story at TonyCats.com, if Biden doesn't debate, Biden loses the Midwest and the election. I put this out there, man. I did get pushback. That I'm the only, am I the only person who sees this? Not at all. Oh, you're just making it up. You don't, of course Biden's going to debate. Really? You really think Biden's going to debate? Well, it was Thomas Friedman who first suggested this. Never mind, or you were already thinking it. Right? Very often you discount you. Very often you think you're alone. Very often and, and I and I and I say that in that way because people who are part of this show who listen, they contact me. Am I the only person who thinks like this? And the answer is no. And and it's so 
in, in, in this world of insanity, it is so unbelievably important to know how interconnected we are and to know that we're not alone and to know that we're not crazy. We do see the world properly and clearly. We are aggressively being gaslit on a number of subjects, and we're not falling for it. And that's difficult. That takes, that takes you know, serious uh, faith and passion uh, and, 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 uh, and an objective look at the world, and we're doing it. We're doing it well. So when I wrote about this, if Biden doesn't debate, Biden loses the Midwest, I had noticed that Thomas Friedman, Alexis and the Olive Tree, The World is Flat, the author, had written in the pages of the New York Times how Biden should only uh, debate Trump if, number one, Biden, uh, Trump provides his tax returns, and number two, there's somebody fact-checking along the way. And I said, I'm fine with fact-checking. Oh my gosh, I'd love to fact-check Joe Biden. I'm not so sure Joe Biden's team would like to be fact-checked the way I would fact-check Joe Biden. But, uh, you know, say la vie. But if the first thing on your list is Trump providing his tax returns, and the New York Times proudly promoted this, you're saying don't debate Donald Trump. We already have two Supreme Court decisions on tax returns. One allows the state of New York to move forward with its case, and one prevents Congress from getting the tax returns. And the New York moving forward will now lead to another uh, lawsuit that will go in front of the Supreme Court. So no one's getting a tax return this election season. That pretty, seems pretty obvious. It's clear they don't want Biden to debate. It was obvious. As I stated, if Biden does not debate, Biden cannot win. America will not take it. The fence-sitting voter will not vote for the guy who is afraid to debate. And the Biden team can claim they're not debating because of tax returns or COVID-19. They can claim the weather. They can claim the freaking chupacabra is the reason they're not going to debate Trump. But it won't work. It will not work. America will not accept a debateless election. America expects those who want to lead this nation to stand up in front of them and make their case. Now, if he shows up to debate, he might lose. But if he doesn't show up to debate, he definitely loses. Well, the Democrats seem to be doubling down on an idea. Because this was Joe Lockhart. Now, Joe Lockhart is the former press secretary to Bill Clinton. So Lord only knows what he saw and didn't talk about. That's an, that, that's speculation on my part, you know. Settle down, lawyers. Joe Lockhart, he is doing an interview, and he says, oh, yeah, Joe Biden shouldn't debate Donald Trump, but listen to why. Um, you know, he's, this is a president who, as I said in the article, is incapable of telling the truth. He spins these conspiracy uh, theories out there. And up till now, most of those theories are uh, broadcast by Fox News and, you know, on his Twitter feed. And, you know, most Americans don't see that. The debates are very different. This is the one thing, you know, now that we're not really going to have conventions where the public will tune in, you know, uh, you know 50, 60 million people. And they will they will see all of this nonsense from him. He will take the truth and, and destroy it. And, and Biden will be in the position of correcting him over and over and over again. I don't think he should give him that platform. Now, if you believe that's the reason, well, that's adorable. 
The idea that Biden will have to correct Trump over and over and over again is subterfuge. It's it's uh, it's a smokescreen. And none of it is factual. This is throwing up reasons and rationales that have no basis in fact. That isn't to argue that that Trump hasn't said things before that you're like, yeah, that ain't the case. But the idea that this is this is the reason Biden shouldn't debate. No, it's because they don't trust Biden to debate. This brings us back to the VP pick and that it wasn't picked. And now, I mean, we really should have my conspiracy X-Files music ready to go. This is the full on conspiracy theory. I am. There is not a conspiratorial bone in my body. But why is it that the VP pick wasn't made, wasn't announced like it was supposed to this weekend? Bless your soul. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. Now, I want it said that I have absolutely no basis in terms of no factual evidence that this is the case. And, uh, but I'm pretty close. And let me give you some reasons why. So it is very possible that he hadn't picked his vice president because a decision has not yet been made. I have a hard time with this because everybody who is in the running has been vetted already. Right. They have all been vetted. And I'm here to tell you that one of the people that you could push to the side is Karen Bass, the representative from from California. A woman who was uh, mourning the loss of Fidel Castro four years ago. I mean, that might work for the Bernie bros. It isn't going to work for the rest of America. And I don't think that she's really deeply in the running. So it's possible that he hasn't made a choice yet. Or as some people want to put it, the campaign hasn't made a choice for him because he doesn't get to make a choice, right? All those kinds of things. I don't think that's it. I think it's possible, but it's not probable. And we should be clear that when you take a look at the short list for vice president, Susan Rice, former national security advisor, Atlanta mayor, Keisha Bottoms, Florida representative Val Demings, California Senator Kamala Harris are all on the list. Let's be clear that Michelle Obama was never on the VP shortlist. Never, ever, ever. And I don't believe she is now. You're going to be hearing that a lot. And I don't believe she is now because she has no need for that in her life. So I don't think it's because a decision has not been made. Although it's possible they haven't made the announcement because they haven't made the decision yet. Number two is that they don't want to interrupt the news cycle which could actually be a reason. You announce your VP, your VP candidate's going to get attacked by the other side all day, all night, etc. Give less people time to attack, announce it, and then be able to get into another news cycle so people can't, you know, set the narrative. Set a story on her. And it will be a woman, and it will be a black woman. Of this, there's no doubt. But the Biden team might think that Nancy Pelosi referring to uh, law enforcement stormtroopers is a good news cycle. They might think the idea that describing Portland and Seattle as peaceful until law enforcement showed up is a good news cycle. And they might want to keep that going. They may think it's doing damage to Donald Trump. So they may have said, you know what, let's hold off a week. Let's let this news cycle go before we interrupt it. Now, it's possible this is much ado about nothing. It's a week. What's a week? 
Right? What's the big deal? They wait a week. It's, it's nothing. Or maybe he learned something from the Trump playbook and he's milking it. Teasing the press, playing with them, building up the suspense and putting the news cycle in his hands. Absolutely possible. I don't know if it's probable. Absolutely possible. Now, it's also possible that he forgot he was running for president to begin with. It is possible. <laughs> There's something wrong with Joe Biden. Of this, we can be clear. Or there's another theory, and that theory is my theory, and it is, thank you, Producer Ari, it is the conspiracy theory. Now, I make this theory, or I put forth this theory, saying to you that from the very beginning, I said Joe Biden would not be the nominee. Now, looking at, the, at everything now, I desperately want Joe Biden to be the nominee, because Joe Biden is imminently beatable, immensely beatable, completely Beatable. It's not even a question. Joe Biden can be beat and beat badly. The idea that America is desperate to vote for Joe Biden, America, or at least offense centers, could be desperately looking for one reason not to vote for Donald Trump. Joe Biden has given them zero. And you see now the, the growing list of people who don't want Biden to debate. They know that in a debate, he also gives no reasons. And people be like, I just I can't I can't have that that man, that 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 senile old man or whatever they're going to call him in, in, in the Oval. I'll take the other guy who's only crazy. I say to you that Biden will not be the nominee. I still believe it to be true. I still believe they can get to a convention and they will take Biden out. They know it's a problem. Which makes me wonder how the Elizabeth Warrens and the Bernie Sanders and the Pete Buttigieg's are going to feel. This is the guy you endorsed? This is the guy you couldn't beat? One Jim Clyburn uh, recommendation and you couldn't overcome that? Hey, politics is strange. It happens. Now, the question, of course, is let's make an argument. I get it. I get it. I have no basis for this except my own eyes and my own understanding of the world. I have no inside knowledge. And there's some people who have discussed they've got some inside knowledge on this. I I haven't seen proof of it yet, so I can't verify any of that. They've got inside knowledge that Biden is slipping, that mental acuity is gone, etc. So the question would be who would replace him? Who would replace Joe Biden? So, yes, of course, you have to accept the fact that Andrew Cuomo is on that list. America's governor or something murdered 6,000 people. But, you know, let's say he didn't murder those people in nursing homes. He just made it impossible for them to live. He didn't learn after the first 100, 200, 500, 700, 1,000 that maybe you should not be sending people back to nursing homes who test positive for COVID-19 when they're in a hospital. Maybe you should have used the Jacob Javits Field Hospital. Maybe you should have used the U.S. Naval Ship Comfort. And he did none of those things. It doesn't stop the media from fawning all over him. Of course, Andrew Cuomo is on that list. And of course, she wasn't on the VP short list. But of course, she's going to be on this list to replace Joe Biden, and that's Michelle Obama. Now, you can laugh, and you can scream, and you can call me crazy all you want, and I will say to you, I agree. 
I don't think she wants it. She's got the house in Martha's Vineyard. She She's royalty to a whole set of Americans. She's got the production deal with Netflix. Crazy money. Two kids. A life to enjoy. Why should she be bothered with this? Trump had all those things, too. And he got bothered with this. So... Is it possible? Of course it's possible. I still don't see her in there. But if she is in the mix, she's in the mix as the top of the ticket, not as a vice president. Now, you can make the argument, Tony, they could run Biden because they've already got him. They put uh, Michelle there. He wins. He's president for four months, and then he's got the issue, and he goes, and there you go. Absolutely possible. You are more conspiratorial than I am. All of this comes from the reality that Biden can't debate and the Democratic Party knows it. What comes next is total mystery. I don't know. Maybe they go forward with Biden as the nominee and hope for the best and realize that they they just don't have it this year and that's all there is to it. And they'll come back again in 2024. 2024, Republicans might have the best bench in the last 30 years. Maybe more. It's I, I get your point. But all of the, the, the insanity that we're talking about comes from this basis that Biden can't debate and the Democrats don't want him to debate. And they are trying to figure out ways to keep him out of a debate. And if he stays out of the debate, he loses because he loses Michigan. He loses Wisconsin. I would argue he would lose Florida as well. It's over. They are in a pickle. And when they're in a pickle, you have to ask yourself, what are they going to do about it? They may do nothing, but they may do something. Why am I to believe that Biden is going to be the candidate? We're two weeks away from the convention, and I still don't believe it. I'm Tony Katz. Well, there you have it. I still think he's out of his mind, but I'm telling you what, if he's right about this, He is going to look like a freaking wizard, and I'm never going to hear the end of it. Up next is a nice little segment we did. So over the weekend, President Trump did an interview with Axios uh, and Jonathan Swan, and it got a lot of attention because the left was saying that this was the most disastrous interview of all time, that Trump was just incompetent, that he didn't know where he was, much like Joe Biden, actually. Uh, Tony had a different take I thought was really interesting. He listened to the interview, and he said, there's nothing wrong with it. And he explained. I thought it was actually pretty insightful, and it brought me a new perspective on this one. So here's this segment about President Trump's interview with Jonathan Swan on Axios. Everybody is losing their mind over an interview Trump did with Jonathan Swan of Axios that went on their HBO show, and I have no idea when anybody's losing their mind. I don't know why everyone is so bothered by it. I can only come to the place where people choose to be bothered by things, invent things to be bothered by, when in actuality, there is no there there. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. I want to share this with you. And the reason I don't think this is the end of the world is because I thought the question itself was fine from Swain, from Swan. I'm sorry, Jonathan Swan. I thought Trump answering it was fine. You can agree and disagree. I thought it was 
a solid conversation. Within this, I will share with you one of the things I like about Donald Trump is that he does not shy away. He's not like this conversation is over. He didn't throw up his arms and say, I can't talk to you people. It was fine. Swan's questions in and of themselves on this subject were just fine. I will share with you some questions that I thought were absolutely ridiculous, like, hey, President Trump, uh, what do you think of John Lewis? Uh, I don't know John Lewis. Uh, He chose not to come to my uh, uh, inauguration. Uh, He chose, uh, I I don't, uh, I never met John Lewis, actually, I don't believe. Do you find him impressive? Uh, I can't say one way or the other. I find a lot of people impressive. I find many people not impressive, but no, but I didn't. Do you find his story impressive? He didn't come to my inauguration. He didn't come to my State of the Union speeches. And that's okay. That's his right. And. Why is this a conversation to begin with? What do I care? John Lewis hated Donald Trump, and Donald Trump holds grudges. Next? Well, why didn't Donald Trump just say he was a great American for what he did for civil rights, and John Lewis actually walked the walk? Literally walked the walk. Well, that ain't what Trump does, but you knew that, and that's why the question got asked. That's what makes this part so remarkably cheap, which is a shame because what we're about to get into shows that Swan, of course, has the capacity and the capability. This was cheap, and people are focusing on this about John Lewis. It's garbage. It is, it is nothing more than leftist masturbatory fantasy. It makes no sense. It's nonsense. That somehow it should play in to anything. John McCain hated Donald Trump. And Donald Trump hated John McCain. The difference is I don't think Donald Trump hated John Lewis. But I can tell you that Donald Trump hated John McCain. Absolutely and without question. But let's get to this other part. Let's get to this part where Swan and the president are having a conversation about coronavirus numbers. We're going to look at some of these charts. I'd love to. We're going to look. Let's look. And if you look at death, death, start to go up again. Well, right here, the United States is lowest in numerous categories. Uh, we're lower than the world. Lower than, we're lower the world. than what is Europe. In what? Look. In what? Take- They're discussing death rates, and Trump has in front of him some papers, and he's going through charts and figuring out which one is which. There is a conversation to be had about where the death rate is. I will say to you as clear as day that our panic and insanity over coronavirus is is an embarrassment. Yes, we have more cases because we do more testing. I believe that's true. Yes, we have more cases because we are a free society and you can't lock Americans down like you can other cultures. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And that is a bit of foreshadowing because it's going to play into something that comes later. So here's President Trump discussing deaths. Here is President Trump discussing deaths. Let it continue. Look, right here, here's case death. Oh, you're doing death as a proportion of cases. I'm talking about death as a proportion of population. Now, you can do both. 
death as proportionate to the number of cases that you have and deaths as proportion to the amount of society that you have, the amount of people in that society. Of course, you can look at it both ways. That's where the U.S. is really bad. Well, well, much worse than South Korea, Germany, etc. You can't. You can't do that. You have Why to go. Do you that? have to go by. You have to go by where. Look, here is the United States. You have to go by the cases. The now, you can go by any data you choose. And to that, Swan has a legitimate point. Of course, you can go by population. The question before us should be, is that the only data point that you want to use? He points to other nations that have very, very low death rates. I told you there was foreshadowing. We'll get to it in a moment. Is, Why not as a proportion when of population? We have somebody, what it says is when you have somebody that yeah. has, it, where there's a case, oh, okay. the people that live sure. from oh. those cases. It's surely a relevant statistic to say if the U.S. has X population and X percentage of death of that population no, versus South Korea. No, you have to go by the cases. Well, look at South Korea, for example. 51 million population, 300 deaths. Foreshadowing comes now. Absolutely, positively, South Korea has less deaths, and even with a population of of, of 50 million, one-sixth the size of the United States, or even smaller, uh, a, a very, very small death rate. Now, we'll get into back to the interview in a second. Culturally, South Korea is a different place, and we have noted from the very beginning that Asian cultures have long been wearing masks when people are sick. It is not something new to them. So it certainly can be argued that they were more prepared culturally to deal with a virus than the United States, which culturally doesn't play into that game. Culturally, we're a hugging nation. Culturally, we're a kissing nation. We are not a stay uh, apart from each other bow nation or anything else. It's just not who we are. Our greetings are familiar. Our greetings are bring it in. Men hug. Right? Yeah. You, you, know, you know what a bro hug is there, Prusari? I do. Right? You're always trying to do that with me, and I'm like, please, stop. I know. You, ne- you never want to. I know. Uh, that's, that's what people do. They hug. They kiss. That's who we are. And culturally, that can lead to a lot of spread. And so we might see a change in America culturally as things go on because like, hmm, maybe we don't want that. I think the elbow thing, you know, where people like bump elbows, I think that's actually going to become a thing. I will tell you, I do, I, you know, at least locally, I still do a lot of going out. Um Although I will tell you, I had a conversation with someone the other day. Would I head back to New York to do some TV hits? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And it's, it's, I don't even think it's a coronavirus fear. It's that I don't think I want to be in New York right now. I don't trust de Blasio's New York. I don't trust shutdowns. I don't, you know, what happens when it's me and, and, and it's, I'm done with my day? You know I'm going to be walking the streets with a cigar. Can you not walk the streets with a cigar? I, I I don't know if I want to be uh, I, I don't know if I want to be around all, all that, right? But in my local travels, I don't know about you, the the elbow bump thing like that's become very very acceptable. People are kind of okay with it. They now it's we're Americans. We're still leading in a bit. I mean that's totally happening. We're leading in. Hey, how you doing? Hey, gay, right? We're doing all that. But culturally, it's a it's a different place, and it's possible that culturally in this aspect. 
they created a lot less spread. Why, why would that be a weird thing to note? Are you telling me that we are so fragile that we can't notice that some cultures lend themselves to better separation than American culture? <laughs> that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, but there could be other reasons for South Korea's low numbers. It's like, it's you crazy that they know that. I do. It's you on the, don't know that. Do you think they're faking their statistics, uh, South Korea? I, I, I won't get into that because they have a very good relationship yeah. with the country. But you don't know that. Is South Korea faking their numbers? I would have no way of knowing. I will say this. I believe lots of nations are faking their numbers. Certainly we know that China is faking their numbers. We already know that Iran is faking their numbers. We know this for fact. If we take a look, Worldometers has done a really good job, I think, of keeping up with, with, with cases, with numbers. You have 4.8 million cases in the United States. You have 2.7 million cases in Brazil. And you have 1.9 million cases in India. Right, And India, of course, has a much bigger population than us by over a billion people. 1.8 million cases in India. You know how many cases they have in China? 84,464. You believe that number? Because if you believe that number, you're criminally insane. You are criminally insane. Do nations lie about their numbers of course they do. We also, as is clear, do more testing than those other nations. And they have spikes. Look, here's Germany, one. Germany, low, 9,000. Here's one right here, United States. You take anyway. the number of cases. Okay. Now look, we're last, meaning we're first. Last, I don't know we what we're first in. As a what? Take a look, okay. again, it's I'll cases. Just, okay. Um, and we have cases because I mean, of the testing. The way a thousand Americans die a day, but I understand. I understand on cases, it's different. No, but you're not reporting it correctly, Jonathan. I think I am, but. If you take a look at this other chart. Look, this is our testing, I believe. This is the testing, yeah. Yeah, we do more tests. Now, wait a minute. Well, don't we get credit for that? And because we do more tests, we have more cases. Now, of course, rational people understand if you do more tests, you, you have more cases. But I think you can argue that Americans would say, we have way more cases than I ever thought we'd have. Right? Now, at 4.8 million with a population of 330 million, it's, ju- it's over 1%. Uh, you have 159,000 deaths, at least as Worldometers puts it. I think the CDC number is a little bit lower. We still have not engaged the number of comorbidities that come with that. Meaning people who would have died of something else, but coronavirus was present. We still know that there are things that labeled as coronavirus death where it's clearly not the cause of death. I think we're going to see those numbers get revised. I think we're going to find out interesting data about those numbers. Right? You take a look at total number of cases and say to yourself, testing doesn't matter. And I will, I'll laugh at you. So will anybody else who is rational. But you can also say we do have more cases than, than, than I thought we would have. You can absolutely say that. Now here's the question. Does it matter? 
according to Worldometers, of the 4.8 million cases, 2.4 million have recovered, and there are 2.257 million active cases. Serious or critical? Critical? 18,727. 18,727. The amount of tests done in Russia, 29 million. Sure. The amount of tests done in India, 20 million. The amount of tests done in Brazil, 13 million. The amount of tests done in the UK, 16 million. The amount of tests done in China, they claim, is 90 million. Whatever you say. The amount of deaths done in the USA, almost 61 million. So you mean with our 61 million tests, we've got 4 million cases. But with China's 90 million tests, they only have uh, 80,000. Yeah, I don't believe that number either. So do I believe the South Korean numbers? I have no reason not to believe that they have 14,000 cases and 301 deaths. I have no reason to say that they're not telling the truth. None. But I'm not going to be surprised if some numbers got a bit fudged. Let me finish this up for you. In other words, we test more. We have now. Take a look. The top one. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. The top, Jonathan. If if if, if hospital rates were going down and deaths were going down, I'd say terrific. You deserve to be praised for well, testing. They but they're all going up. They very rarely. Sixty thousand Americans are in hospital. If you watch the news or read the papers. They usually talk about new cases, new cases, new cases. I'm talking about death. Will you look it's at death? Up. Death is way down from where it was. It's it's a thousand death. a day. It was two and a half thousand. It went down to five hundred. Now it's going up. People are taking this interview. Oh, Trump got slammed. Trump got hit. Then they're attacking Swan on the right. Let me tell you what I think. There's nothing wrong with this interview. Trump doesn't sound like a crazy person in this interview. He is making his case, and as he does, emphatically. But is he yelling at Swan? Is he screaming at Swan? Did he call Swan any names? He's not. Swan's not doing an Acosta, and Trump is not accosting Swan. Swan is trying to make his point and Trump's trying to make his point and they're listening to each other and they're saying, no, 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 but look at this. As far as I'm concerned, this is a win for Trump. And I would actually argue I don't know Jonathan Swan at all. I think it's a win for Swan. Because at least from this part of it, it was a fine, acceptable, at times incredulous, but mostly uh, uh, con- congenial engagement. One that's important. Proving that if, if anything, we can do it. I think it works much better for Trump than other people are giving him credit for. Really and truly. I think that it shows that you, you can press him. He once said... He doesn't mind a tough interview. What he wants is a fair interview. I would argue that that's what that section was. Swan asking about John Lewis is garbage. This was tough but fair. What's wrong with that? Now, I say this to the people on the political right. You know, my people, right? What's wrong with tough but fair? 
There's a key difference between Swan in that moment and Brian Stelter. Swan in that moment and Jim Acosta. Swan in that moment and the entirety of MSNBC. There's a very clear difference. Say so. Say so. You think that this shows that what? Trump, oh, he just handled that so poorly. And you think he can't debate Biden? Trump, uh, Every Republican, every conservative, everyone on the political right, anybody who's voting for Trump, trusts Trump to destroy Joe Biden on a debate stage, if only because Trump can put together four sentences and Joe Biden cannot. This interview was fine. This interview was actually, I think, worthwhile to all of us. Good job by Swan. Good job by the president. It's just that easy. I'm Tony Katz. The final segment from the week I want to share with you guys is a bit of a somber story. Uh, the George Floyd murder has really been at the top of everyone's minds for a while now. And we had seen the video. We had heard accounts of what happened. Uh, it started this whole Black Lives Matter movement and these riots and these protests. And from the beginning, Tony has long said he wants to wait for all the information to come out. Uh, just this week, the police body cam footage uh, of the officer, Derek Chauvin, came out. And it, it's pretty tough to watch, but Tony, you know, sat down, he watched it. And after seeing the whole entirety of the footage, uh, came to conclusions that, you know, maybe controversial to say, but objectively, it kind of is what it is. There is now full body cam footage of what happens to George Floyd. And I made the decision not to share the actual audio on air because it's the whole scene is surreal and, uh, for lack of a better word, frightening. And I say frightening only because it's not that, you know, there's anything to be scared of, but rather because... You're you're watching a man who is clearly falling apart. Clearly falling apart. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. I bring this up because when you see the video, it may very well change how you feel about the death of George Floyd. My position has been that the officer who put his knee on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds was wrong and that that maneuvering was murder. I will not say I didn't say what I said. I stand by my words and if I need to correct them, I will. I will tell you here and now that after watching this video, I still disagree with having a knee on the neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. I still believe that is something that should go by the wayside. I still make the argument that police unions need to be uh, just ripped apart. There should be none of them. I still believe in getting rid of no-knock warrants. But the cops in this case have been overcharged. There is no second-degree murder at all as I see it. And it is very clear that George Floyd was not okay. 
I'm going to take you through the two parts of this video. In part number one, you have the shop owners who say that George Floyd passed them a counterfeit bill. And the police show up and the owner's there and it's got the bill. He points to a car across the street. That's where he is. Two officers are there, and I'm not sure which two of them they are. And that part is is insignificant because the body camera that I'm seeing is clearly not Derek Chauvin's body camera, the one who had the knee on the neck of George Floyd. This is another officer who's on the other side of the car talking to the guy in the passenger seat. George Floyd was in the driver's seat. Somebody else was in the passenger seat. The guy in the passenger seat is cool, calm, and collected. They're having a conversation. The cop's being fine. He's being fine. Everyone's being fine. I mean, really and truly, fine. Then you hear some commotion from George Floyd's side. The officer goes around to the George Floyd side, and there he is, George Floyd, in the driver's seat, refusing to get out of the car. He's under arrest for counterfeiting. He refuses to get out of the car. He is speaking in a fevered pitch, almost in a yell type of situation he is in 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 my non-medical estimation out of his mind he's worried about getting shot no one's discussing anybody getting shot if you want a great write-up of this head over to powerlineblog.com john hinderocker this is he did a really good job They finally get him out of the car and they get him cuffed and he is yelling and he is loud and he is in full on distress. He is in distress from the moment it seems the police officer started talking to him. Full on in distress. They then walk him across the street back to where the police car is. It's a it's an SUV. Yeah, Ford Explorer, something like that. They open the back door to try and get him in. He will not sit down in that car. This part of the video goes on for five or ten minutes. Where it's officers trying to get him to sit down, and he won't do it. They're not shoving him in at the first. They're not pushing him. Nobody hit him with a billy club. Nobody used any pepper spray. Have a seat. Have a seat. They keep going over it with him again and again. He's claustrophobic. He can't do this. He can't do that. He is fighting it every step of the way. You will also start hearing him say, at this moment, I can't breathe. He was already saying, I can't breathe. Long before he got to the ground. It is at that moment where a jury is going to say, oh, well then. A jury that's honest, as I would see it. When I tell you this went on for five or ten minutes, this went on for five or ten minutes. Now, understand that we have a certain benefit of knowledge that the officers clearly didn't, didn't have. We know that he he wasn't okay. One of his companions, an ex, according to the Daily Mail, made a finger twirling next to the temple gesture like he's crazy. We know something the officers didn't know, that in his system, 
was fentanyl. How much fentanyl? Double a daily dose. Double a daily dose. Right? You can't just say, you know, uh, you know, milliliters. It's, it's nanograms per uh, milliliter. So uh, he had in his system, according to the toxicology report, 11 nanograms per milliliter of fentanyl. And according to sources, double what uh, could be a lethal dose. A lethal dose, five in some cases. And, of course, medical professionals say, well, no, it's really eight or no, it's six or, well, it depends on this. It depends on body type. I'm not trying to play doctor here. What I'm saying is there was a large amount of fentanyl in his system and fentanyl could indeed get you to stop breathing. Shortness of breath is a symptom of fentanyl overdose. So there he is. We have this data. The police officers don't have this data. They have a guy who is resisting arrest. They have a guy who is uh, uh, basically yelling in all sorts of distress. They have a guy who wouldn't get out of his car, and they have a guy who would not get into the police car. Won't do it. They finally get him into the police car, and someone on the other side of the car has the door open. So you know what happens. They're getting him into the left rear door. They finally get him in. What does he do? He shoots out the right rear door. This is why the video we see is of George Floyd behind the car. Because one of the questions we first asked, because we first saw that video while we were on the air. Was that February? March? We saw the video on the air. Like, what are we looking at? How in the world did the guy get here? That's why... George Floyd, after that, was on the ground. The on the ground moment behind the car, where we see Justice Head and the knee of Officer uh, Derek Chauvin on his neck, that is the part two of the video. Because that part of the video has Chauvin on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And that's the part of the video you're like, this guy is clearly down. There's something definitely wrong with him, but there's four of you. You've already called an ambulance. Why is this the position that he's in? Now, someone's going to start getting into a conversation about training. Well, this is how they're trained to subdue a subject. Well, first, let's get into some basics here. Is this a subject now that we have this background data through the video Is this a subject that needed to be restrained, detained, subdued? Pick your word. And the answer is, yeah, I think so. Now, he was never in the video that I saw swinging elbows. I mean, he's cuffed with his hands behind his back, but he's not swinging elbows. He's not he's not spitting on anybody. Nothing like that. But clearly he is in all sorts of agitation he is not okay there is no one who could argue honestly that he was fine and in his right mind no he was not he was not in his right mind anybody who says otherwise is lying if you told me we needed to subdue him okay I will agree to that but there is a moment Clear as day 
where even the most rational person or the most irrational person, I should say, says, dude, get off this guy. Get off his neck. If you take a look back at toxicology reports, what you will find is that George Floyd did not die of physical trauma, meaning there was um, no other signs of death by asphyxiation. The autopsy found no evidence of physical trauma in the neck area. It is absolutely positively possible, if not probable, and based on this video, I may go as far as factual, that George Floyd died right there and then of an opioid overdose. But the police didn't know that. They could have guessed, they could have surmised, they could have used experience. But there came a moment for any person where you say, get off the guy's neck. This isn't, this isn't going to help you. This isn't necessary. This isn't necessary. And the question before I think anyone should be, why didn't that happen? But that is a part two. This video makes me say two things. And the first one is a reminder for me. I will never again... And I am not a jump to conclusions guy. I will never, ever, ever, ever to please Lord the best of my ability. Jump in until I have everything. I wait. I believe in waiting until I have everything. I want that on everything I do. I took a look at that video and that video is ugly. That video is unnecessary when we're talking about the knee on the neck and I am still there. But there can be no doubt, as I see this whole thing, that George Floyd had a lot of issues. And clearly, George Floyd was high as a kite. And if you think you're going to get Officer Chauvin on second-degree murder, you're out of your mind. It ain't going to come. Now, of course, you can find a jury to do it. That doesn't mean I found a jury that could find OJ not guilty. That doesn't mean anything. I'm saying it's very clear that officers were dealing with somebody who wasn't okay and clearly had a serious drug issue going on. All they could have known is he's not okay, and they could have known it for a couple of different different reasons. Is Officer Chauvin still responsible for the knee on the neck and the positioning and everything else and not laying up early and having a better check of your suspect? I argue yes, and I'm willing to take that fight on. I'm willing to take that fight on. That if we want to talk about changes, there you go. Throughout it all, uh, George Floyd is saying, I can't breathe. Now, he's also crying for his mother. The whole thing is going on. But based on what we saw before and his mannerisms before in the earlier part of the video, none of that was out of character for this character we've just met in George Floyd. So that's not the story. He was already saying, I can't breathe. So I understand why officers weren't listening to him when he said, I can't breathe. You, you sure are talking for a guy who says he can't breathe. It would not have hurt you to take your knee off his neck for 30 seconds. That's my take. Tony, you don't get to say that about an officer. Not only do I get to say it, find me the officer, and I'll say it to him directly. We'll have the conversation over a drink. 
there are two parts to this video. And it doesn't mean that I'm okay with what happened in the second part. But in the first part, officers did nothing wrong. George Floyd was not an okay guy. George Floyd resisted arrest. George Floyd wouldn't get into the car. George Floyd, without large amounts of flailing or anything like that, did indeed uh, fight back. And they waited for an ambulance to get there because they knew they had a problem and they subdued him. It is in that subduing that we have our issue. Um, I don't know if I'm going to suggest to you you watch the video. But if you have watched the video, do you agree or disagree with me? Right? Because some people might still disagree with me. Um, I just, I, I think this is the like the greatest uh, moment for the need of body cameras. Because we get to see what happened. And what happened is far different than what got said. Now, not far different. Explains how we got to this place. I would still want changes. I would still push for changes in that. I'm not for the changes that we're seeing in some of the police departments say you can't put a knee on the neck ever. You can't put a knee on the back ever. You can't put a foot on the back ever. What those people are saying is you're not allowed to do subdue. You're not allowed to subdue somebody. Well, then how does an officer arrest anybody? If you fight back, it's like, well, we tried to arrest them, but they fought back. So we just got donuts because stereotype. It's taking away the ability of police officers to do their job when you say that. There's a difference between putting your knee on someone's neck while you're subduing them and keeping your knee on someone's neck while they're subdued. But really, it's even greater than the knee on the neck. It's about a checking in on the welfare of the innocent until proven guilty suspect. And that should be something we're focused on. There was no, it seems, taking a breath from the officers, not to use a bad uh, phrase there, to check to see how this subdued suspect was doing. That should have happened. And I think that you can, in many ways, hold Chauvin responsible for that. But that the rest of these officers are guilty of, of murder... Not going to be true. And when people explode in Minnesota or anywhere else over it, they will not have watched this video and never will have engaged it like adults. But they'll explode anyway. They'll explode at anything. They'll explode at things that they like because the people who want to burn it all down, all they need is matches. Barely even need a reason. Video is hard to watch. It reminds me once again that I have a responsibility to you and to myself. Until you have it all, you don't have anything. It won't be second degree. But there are definitely things that we can change in how police handled that moment, part two, that would be better for all of us. And we should. Let me know your thoughts on Twitter. I'm Tony Katz. So there is the inaugural episode of TK This Week. I hope me as your Sherpa, producer Ari, guided you through this journey as well. We'll have new episodes each week, the best of the best from Tony Katz that was the week prior. Uh, So stick around, stay tuned, and hope you enjoyed.